Campione. I am a rock tape instructor and a chiropractic physician. Today I have with me Megan Helwig. She is a doctor of physical therapy, an expert in manual therapy, maintaining a full body certification in active release technique, neurokinetic therapy level three, and she is also a level three Titleist Performance Institute medical and fitness provider. Her focus is on performance enhancement, functional movement, manual therapy, and corrective exercise, both peak performance and when compensating for injury. She's sought out by many athletes of all levels, from elite to pro athletes like the NFL, the NHL, NBA players, triathletes, golfers, and CrossFits among them, CrossFitters among them. She's a New Jersey native. Dr. Megan earned her doctorate of physical therapy from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, which apparently now is Rutgers University. Yes. And her passion for physical therapy was born from her own experience recovering from injury, as a lot of us are. Megan, what's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, reading your profile, I didn't realize, like, how long ago was the name changed to Rutgers? Or was that something like uh, Rutgers absorbed in? I know. Like, my diploma and everything says UMDNJ, but I forget how many years ago it all switched over to Rutgers. So I'm like, do I have to change everything? I always thought Rutgers was just kind of always there because I went to West Virginia University. So yeah. like, back when the Big East was more prominent, that was yeah. like a rival. So I knew mm-hmm. a lot of people from New Jersey because they couldn't get into Rutgers. So they went to West Virginia. <laughs> and I was Villanova undergrad. So I was Big East. There you go. Yeah. Back when the Big East was a little bit more prominent, right? Uh, yeah. Well, good to have you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you've got so much experience and, and so much wealth of knowledge that we can really tap into and understand because you see a, a good variety of different athletes. And the biggest question I got to ask up front is how long have you been with Rock Tape and how did you really get started with the company? So it's funny, like if we go back even before then, I was in finance working in New York City. Like wow. going, like I graduated with my finance degree, worked in New York, got hurt, was going to PT, took, you know, the KT1, KT2 courses right out of school, was always working with athletes. But then I think it was probably like 2013 or so, um, I took my first rock tape course in the city with Shantae. And I was like, you know, this is how I think, like... I love that they were more movement based, like just a totally different approach um, than just the parts in like a lot of the other courses. Um, so I kind of was like, I knew Dr. Perry for years through NKT in New Jersey. And that's like, I was in that little world between Shantae, Dr. Perry. Um, and then it kind of took off after I took my first taping course. And then Shantae had reached out to me and was like, Have you, would you ever think about teaching? And if I'm a hundred percent honest in the back of my head, I was like, Oh God, I don't know. Uh, Cause I mean, go back big East. I got an award in college for like, I don't know, it was goalie of the year or something. And I had to go up on stage and I went mute. Like I physically couldn't even open my mouth and talk in front of people. Like I was oh, petrified wow. of public speaking. Um, so fast forward how many years now, not realizing how much I love it. Like I ended up co-teaching with Shantae and I was probably reading too much off the projector and, you know, super nervous. And they just like threw me right in him, um, Ethan and Shantae, like threw me in and, and my first course, you know, I was like, all right, here we go. Um, that was over a year ago, like a year and a half ago, probably. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so how long had you been a PT before you really started, before you took that, that rock tape course? I started PT, I graduated in 2009, um, okay. probably KT one and two, um, right after I graduated and, you know, a ton of ART, um, 
TPI, all that other fun stuff. Um, and then it was probably not until 2013, I think, or maybe even later that okay. I, whenever Shantae was first starting to teach, it was when I was, I think it was 16. It was either 15 or 16. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't yeah. that long ago, but it totally changed. Like that's what I needed. Cause that's like the path I was on, but I hadn't found anyone else that kind of had that outlook. What really took you from finance to kind of the health realm was it really more your personal injuries or was there something else like I well from a kid I always wanted to be a veterinarian like always wanted to be a vet even going through PT school like I wanted to I was thinking about canine and equine PT um and I was always an athlete my whole life I played division one field hockey was a swimmer triathlete and um always enjoyed like the sports side ortho sports but I was just good at math and good at like my when I got recruited to play field hockey, she's like, if you want to go business school, you have to tell me now or you're not getting in. I'm like, okay, I want in. So I just ended up and she's like, it's easier to get in than to transfer in. So ended up staying and worked in New York. Like my whole family on my mom's side was all accountants and finance. So I'm like, okay, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, (laughs) Didn't really enjoy it. I would fall asleep at my desk all the time. You know, I, I was not meant to sit at a desk all day. So when I got hurt and I was going to PT at like five in the morning before, you know, working on Park Avenue in the city, I was like, why don't I do this? Like, this is so much better. Um, but I never took any sciences undergrad. So I had to go chem one, two, physics, one, two, bio, AP, and like take all the sciences before I could even apply, um, to go to PT school. So it was a little process to switch. I got to ask, since, since you're, you're, you lived in that world, like, what is the world of finance like? Maybe we can relate it back to kind of movement and healthcare, but like, I've always heard just, it's so rough, you know, you're always stressed out. Like, that had to lead to the injuries that you were talking about that led to kind of seeking out treatment and even your transition into more of a healthcare environment. What is that world even like? I got to know. I mean, I was more like, I wasn't on the stressful side as much okay. as I was more on the sitting at your desk for way too long all day in the paperwork. And I was more on the corporate real estate side, um, just long days, taking car services home at 10, 11 at night, getting a car back into the city at like six in the morning to pick up the paperwork on the weekends, sending boxes of the paperwork home with me. So I wouldn't have to go into the city. Uh, <laughs> It was miserable. Like I remember thinking about PT school. I'm like, okay, three years for PT school or three years for law school, have a job starting at 150,000, you know, make good money, but be miserable sitting at a desk all day. I'm like, no, you know, I'd rather be active and happy and helping other people and make maybe a little less money, but be happy. Um, and that kind of deal. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a, such a huge transition, but you see that a lot in healthcare, don't you? It's people just kind of coming in from other worlds, and a lot of it does really have to do with kind of that injury. Were you being treated with or using rock tape before uh, you even maybe even took the course, uh, or was it really the course that kind of got you into rock tape? You found it and really were interested in it. Um, so I had been around like triathlon, all different active, like sports stuff. So I've been around the tape before. And in my old practice, I worked in a big outpatient ortho setting for seven, eight years. Um, and we, they just had tons of kinesio tape and I knew it, it worked well, but it just never stuck. So I would have like a private stash, uh, 
once I found rock tape and it stuck better, I was like, I'd have my private stash of that when I would use it on certain clients that I like knew needed it to last longer or, you know, for myself. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. Um, so I had been there, but I liked the, the, the different mindset of the whole functional movement, you know, mindset versus, you know, we're just taping parts. Yeah, uh, that that seems to be always the the appeal with with people in rock tape. Either either that or the tape they were using didn't stay on. That kind of thing. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. So you know, throughout your journey, you know, you how long have you been running uh, Primal Strength PT? So I was the outpatient ortho for seven eight years. Mm-hmm. Then I went per diem, and I was in a country club, Baldashall, over in New Jersey, um, doing two days a week more golf performance. Um, I was a golfer growing up. My dad was a golf pro for 40 plus years. Um, so I was kind of in that world and that's how I kind of got into TPI. I came out here for a couple of courses in San Diego and fell in love with it. Um, but when I was like sick and tired of the 20 plus patients a day, not being able to treat the way I wanted to, I knew I kind of had to go on my own. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's when I was sitting, actually sitting in a whole foods, um, with, a friend of mine who owns a couple CrossFit gyms and we were thinking of names and I was like, you know, I want to get people back to that. those like primal movement patterns, how we should be moving. We lose it over time. And then we just started sketching out different names. And then next thing you know, we came up with primal strength. Um, so that was maybe four years ago, four or five years ago. And I went per diem at the one place. Um, I was no longer with the golf. Um, they kind of changed structure there. Um, So I ended up starting in a CrossFit gym in, in Hoboken, New Jersey, you know, two days a week where I still did the per diem. And then eventually I knew in the back of my head, I wanted to be in San Diego. Um, so kind of packed up shop and moved across the country. Did it just happen like that? You're just like, I just wanted to be there. I'm going to go. Or did something help kind of? Um, well, I would come every time I could find a course, I'd look to see if they had it in San Diego. Um, <laughs> so <you> could go. <laughs> and then I'd come out here and visit and I would always extend my trip a day or two and call in sick. I didn't want to come home. And so everyone knew, like all my coworkers knew, my family knew. They're like, why don't you just go? You can always come home, but you're so much happier on the West Coast. And that was back when I was like full time in like Ironman training, triathlon. <laughs> training. Um, so I was like, Oh, I could train year round out here. Um, I hate the winners. Like seasonal depression was real for me back home. Um, so that helped. And finally my family was like, just go. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go. Yeah. You've competed all your life, but you, you've kind of moved around with different things. You know, you were a division one field hockey player um and then you started getting into a lot of different um races triathletes things like that you know that in and of itself can be a big transition as well too what really got you into into doing stuff like triathlons was it just your competitive spirit or did you need more of a challenge there um and field hockey wasn't necessarily something you can do outside of college I mean there was field hockey leagues but I was goalie and I'm like I'm not putting those goalie pads back on like it was just eh. It wasn't appealing to me after that, but I still needed something competitive. And it all started in Hoboken. There was a master swim team. We would all go and like a bunch of us, let's sign up for this triathlon. It should be fun. We're going to go out to the Hamptons for the weekend. Ends up, I sign up, the race closes out. All my friends didn't sign up in time. So they didn't end up going. I go by myself out there. End up doing really well. I like placed from in my age group for my first one. So I'm like, oh, I kind of like this. I needed that like competitive drive and you know also doing well at it I was a competitive swimmer until I was 18 so running was the only 
thing I needed to work on. I was a goalie. I didn't have to run. Um, so you know, then I just started doing that for years, took a little break when I went back to PT school and then kind of got back into it um, after that. And then I guess my last big race was Ironman Lake Placid in 2014. Oh, wow. Uh, so kind of, I always needed something like a big goal to work towards. That always, you know, drove me. Like if I didn't have something to work towards, it was hard for me to stay focused with my training. You know, I find that a lot with a lot of um, former athletes is they kind of lose that drive right? because there's no goal. It's just, oh, I just yeah. want to stay fit. Well, what does that even really mean? You know, if you have a goal for something, even weight loss is not the best goal. It's like, what if you no. train to run a race? You know, I can do that. So that takes us a little bit into kind of, <coughs> I'm going to be so much during this episode. <laughs> We're going to get comments and everything like that. So sorry, everyone. But um, that takes us a little bit into kind of using some of our rock tape tools. You see a whole plethora of different athletes, you know, is there um, one particular population that you see the most? Um, and I'm interested to know kind of what kind of approach you take with them, the little nuances of that particular sport. And what are some of your favorite tools to really use with those athletes? I would say it's a big mess. Like lately right now, I've been getting, like, I love working with my golfers. I have, you know, a few that are on um, different tours and just competitive golfers and working with their golf pros when they're trying to change their swing and doing that mind body connection. Like, is it something they physically can't get into that position for their swing or is it maybe just some stability motor control issue and we have to retrain the brain and what positioning they're getting into. So lately what's been really fun with me is using some of the pods, you know, and bringing back body awareness in certain areas and breathing so the combination of learning how to breathe and their posture and their positioning, mm -hmm. even just at the start of their swing has made a huge difference. Um, and bringing more awareness that they, they, like my one golfer that comes to mind, he would always have this right low or left low back pain, but he wasn't able to stabilize on the opposite hip and breathing into that lower quadrant. So just putting a pod right at like the front of the hip flexor and like ASIS area and telling them, okay, before you start breathe into this area, yeah. and feel the connection to the pod and then start your swing. And it was totally changing things. That's uh, so cool. The pods are such a new course to give everybody a little bit of an explanation, like your 30 second elevator speech about pods. And then if you want to elaborate a little bit about that cueing, because everybody thinks, Oh, it's your cups, but we're not using them like traditional cupping. So give everybody just kind of that, that quick explanation about what we're doing with them. Well, I, I kind of tell people like, Oh, you've heard of cupping. Like you've heard of it the instrument assisted and tools like tools are doing a lot more compression where sometimes you actually need some decompression. So for the cupping, yes, we're doing decompression of the tissue, but then also using it as an intrinsic or say the extrinsic cueing, like say the, the pods outside, whatever. So then you're using the, they have to learn themselves. Like they intrinsically have to learn how to move or feel instead of me cueing them or instead of me verbally telling them things like you learn from the inside out and get that connection. So using the pods, not only for traditional cupping, which I love using it for tissue glide, using it as a handle to tap into the skin to the brain and how they move. So there's going to be multiple uses Whether I'm looking at some tissue glide and mobility issues or using it as a cueing and a learning tool to retrain, you know, that mind body connection and their movement patterns. So I kind of use all of it together where I might be cupping traditional cupping on one part of his body for something where he needs some decompression of the tissue. And I might be using it as a handle to kind of do some tissue glide somewhere else 
because maybe some overuse and repetitive use issues on one side, and then use the, the pod for cueing and awareness somewhere else. So there's so many different uses all with one little tool. Yeah. And so many more to come too. You know, I love it when people kind of make up their own stuff as well too. So let's, let's stick with golf since you mentioned it too, is I always love to kind of see the different little uh, perspectives and nuances that each instructor has, especially with the populations that they see a lot it, with golfers. Can you say that there is one particular aspect that you notice dysfunction in a lot? Um, what kind of dysfunction might that be? And what sort of uh, intervention do you take with that? Are there commonalities to look for with your golfers? Um, I think some of the biggest issues is going to be even just their setup. Um, a lot of times thinking if we're not talking like say my younger population, like right now I have two of my young kids that they're like loosey goosey, hypermobile, and we're just teaching them to stabilize. Like they just can't control their motion where you get some of the older population. Maybe they're just playing for recreational stuff, but they've been sitting at a desk for 30 years, you know, I'm working, one could be structurally, like they're just not going to be able to get into certain positions. So I have to find a safe compensation for them because you think sitting statically all day, then you want to go do what you love and play golf. But that's like Mm -hmm. high velocity, high force for very short periods of time. Like your body stabilize that. So I see a lot of back injuries. I see a lot of hip, back, um, elbow, you know, neck, stuff going on in those areas that, you know, one, how's their posture? Two, how's their breathing? You know, for me, I do a combination of like a DNS, NKT, rock tape, like SFMA, kind of combine it all together into my own little, you know, method or whatever you want to call it um, or system um, and combining that. Like most of my golfers have never thought about their breathing. I'm like, you're leaving so much potential energy on the table by not looking at this. Yeah, that's a good point too. I, I love hearing that too, because that's kind of my thought process is like, I learned all these other systems and techniques and stuff, but I kind of used everything. And then you yeah. get into, you know, speaking with students and, and, and newer practitioners, they're like, well, what do you use? I'm like, everything. everything? <laughs> what do you even say? <laughs> so I'm like, so- everything that I didn't learn in school? No. <laughs> everything afterwards like it was funny I what'd you say you set a baseline in school you got to learn yeah. everything after the build on top exactly of um I had one of my golfers <laughs> heading out to Florida for a tournament last week and I was in Brooklyn teaching taping and I get a text from him and he's like oh my my tape's falling off I'm scared how do how do I apply it again so like at the course I had one of the attendees just film me taping myself and I texted over to him. He's like, okay, good. Now I can tape myself. Cause he was so worried in his head that if he didn't have the tape there, he wasn't going to play well. And that's been the biggest change. I think in the past three or four years is wow. looking at mindset with their movements. Okay. Like what are they thinking about? Like, just because the tape's not there, you're going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. Like your game's not over, but <laughs> looking at the combination of their thoughts and the energy with movement has been a game changer because so many people wouldn't think about those things. Oh yeah, absolutely. It just goes to what we teach in our class is with the, the biopsychosocial model with the variety of athletes that you see, do you find different little aspects of that kind of um, <clears throat> mental efficiency or, or, or mental capacity? Like do golfers have um, different neuroses than say like triathletes? I think it's individually based because I'll have some golfers that are good. Like they mess up and they can start over. 
we all have other golfers where they mess up and it's just like a downhill spiral and like, can you catch it? Um, or is the day over for them? You know? So like, I find that I'm a, and I talk about this when I teach, like we're a therapist in more than one way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, I tap in and that's what I love about TPI's model and Titleist is like, you can't be everything for everyone. So like, I love working as a team. So like a bunch of my golfers, I work closely with their trainer. I work closely with their coach and we'll all be texting one another. Like, okay, this is what happened when he was training today. You know, this was hurting, but this was his mindset. He kept, he was negative with this stuff. So when you see him next, like I'm going to talk about those things or bring it up, say, what are you thinking when this is happening? You know, and I'll I'll muscle and I'll even make them change their thoughts when I'm muscle testing to see if it changes stuff. I love that. I love yeah. that so much. Cause like, I, I, I kind of made up an experiment myself with that. You know, I, I have people, um, I'll do a muscle test and I'll have them write down a happy thought and a sad thought. And I'll just hold the pictures, the, the, the pieces of paper in front of them. Mm-hmm. I don't even show the rest of the room what it is. It's personable to that person. And you see yes. a distinctive change in their ability to maintain that joint position. Like, it is something that you really, really do have to address. Is that something that you really, you said in the last you know, few years, that's something that you kind of implemented more into your practice. Did you learn that kind of going through some of the rock tape education and getting into the teaching? Or is that something that was presented to you in the past and maybe you just didn't implement it as much? Um, I think it's more where we bring it up a ton in our education too. And I, I bring it up a ton when I teach, cause I tell them like, when I was that cocky, like right out of school, I, I just want to do ortho sports. Like yeah. I'm like, Oh, energy. I don't know what you're talking about. That stuff's just whatever. And then like practicing and you treat like 20 patients and you have some of your like crazy patients. And at the end of the day, I'm like, why am I so drained? Why am I miserable? And like, so negative. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like their energy is coming off on me. Like oh, mine that matters. Like I needed to learn how to put that barrier up and like protect myself too. That's um, yeah. So like I talk about that and like one case comes to mind with a CrossFitter, like coming in for shoulder pain when he would snatch. And he's like, every time I snatch, it just hurts. I feel unstable. And I got him on the table and I was just testing some overhead like positioning. And I'm like, okay, like it was a little painful and a little delayed in recruitment. And then I was like, all right, I want you to think about hitting the perfect snatch PR, like felt amazing. I tested him. I was thinking that and it was rock solid and pain-free. He's like, what'd you just do? <laughs> I was like, no, your thoughts were more powerful than you think. I was like, all I had to do was change your thoughts and you felt good. I was like, you probably approach the bar, you approach your rehab exercises. Oh, this is annoying. This stinks. My shoulder hurts. And it's a vicious cycle and you can feed into that. And I was like, you need to change your thoughts with everything. When you approach the bar, when you do your exercises throughout your day, you need to change those thoughts. And then I got a video a week later of him hitting, you know, a PR lift and feeling great. Nice. There may be some other stuff involved, but if we can like avoid surgery and do as much as we can, like there's so many other things we can tap into that they didn't. That's a really important thing to look at too, because it could also prevent injury. Like that might be the moment where you have your injury because you had those thoughts. So, you know, I I can hear different practitioners out there who might not have necessarily uh, adapted this, but you know, you have them on your table, you realize it's a, it's, there's, there's an aspect, a psychological aspect that improves their performance. So uh, the question I'm hearing in my own mind is what's your treatment then? So what do you do with, with your patients when that's really 
kind of the, the problem, I guess you could say. So where's your next step? You just go, think happy thoughts, pay at the front, please. Yeah. And that's what I talk about in the courses too. I'm like, this is where I start stacking modalities and mm. stacking things together. So one's going to be their thoughts. Two might be breathing because that might change the rib cage angle, which changes then the shoulder and the scapula. Then also yeah. I might be doing some a tape at the end of the session and taping their shoulder to bring more awareness to their positioning. Um, so that it leaves them, one, you have the tape for the pain. Two, you have the tape for posture or more of that neurosensory aspect. Um, then I'll be giving them their exercises. We'll go through all the exercises so they feel it because they're mm. more likely to get that carryover and know it and learn it. Yeah. Um, if they feel it. So, I mean, that's just like one of like, of stacking a bunch of different things together. And then, yes, then you're leaving with this new awareness, this new, hopefully thought process and hopefully a new feeling in that position and, you know, what you should be doing. Very cool. Now, is this, you, you competed in, it was the 2017 CrossFit Open? I've done, this is going to be my third or fourth one. This year? Yeah, 2016 was my first. Okay, awesome. So you've, you've every year since 2016. Yes. Okay. So um, a lot of people, you know, we want to kind of be self-aware. We want to help ourselves as well, too. So from an athlete's perspective, as, as you can provide to us, what sort of things do you do with your own psychological, biopsychosocial aspect? What sort of things do you do to get yourself into the mindset during training or even during competition? It's funny because I was just having this talk like 10 minutes ago because <laughs> in a few hours I'm going to do 19.3 okay. and there's movement in it I can't do. What is so, that? Uh, strict handstand push-ups. It's like once my head hits the stupid ground, it's like glued there. I'm like, it does not. I can't push off. Um, but it's funny. Like my coach was like, you have to stop thinking about this. Like after this call, come in. I'm going to talk to you about a few things. Um, so also in my dreams last night, I had a dream I did 19 of them. So I'm like, that's positive in there. Instead of getting upset that there's a movement I can't do, I like am thinking positively, you know, this is an opportunity for me to get my first one. Okay. You know, this is an opportunity. So I have to stay positive because if I start getting negative, it's going to affect how I move. It's going to, I know it has that negative effect. Um, so I just have to stay positive. You know, there's things where even I'll just throw pieces of tape on certain parts of my body. Like if I know there's a high volume deadlifts, I actually tape my stomach um, to bring more awareness there to maintain midline. I don't tape my back where everyone thinks, oh, my back's going to get sore after deadlifts. I'm like, no, I'm not going to give more attention to that. I need to give more attention to my core to maintain, you know, so kind of that positive thinking, get away from the area of pain, think about what I, the positive things I need to do um, to be more successful. Excellent. I think uh, understanding what you need to do is, is probably a good aspect of that too. But you said something really, really poignant and just do one is, is probably yep. the first goal for everybody. You know, the easiest way to accomplish a goal is to begin trying to accomplish that goal. Right. So I, I love oh, yeah. what you said too, about just tape, like it doesn't have to be necessarily an orthopedic uh, tissue thing. It's just that awareness that that's in there, you know, um, do you ever use any of the other tools kind of during your training? Is tape kind of your go-to for yourself? Um, I mean, on myself, yes. Like I'll have some of my workout partners sometimes use some of the other tools and I'll like guide them and be like, Hey, can you just do this for me on an area I can't get to myself? Like oh, I'll okay. use some tools myself. Like I'll use some vibration stuff, tissue that I like actually part of my warm up is the TP, um, trigger point vibrating foam roller. Like I kind of yeah. use that 
as a tissue prep. So I use the vibration as a tissue prep um, and then go into, you know, maybe some core activation, some other stuff um, before I actually get into my warm up and my workout. Can you give everybody an idea of like why, why you use that, that vibration tool kind of, you know, it's the, is it the, the grid vibe or the, the blue one? Uh, I use both. So if I know okay. there's going to be a lot of running or my calves are funky, I'll um, use the, the blue roller one. The, it's the, like, kind of a, uh, like a I didn't know convoluted, it. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking right at it and I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a figure eight. Yeah. Um, I use the, the roller one more cause I can use that like on my, like more on my back, on my quads, on my back, my shoulders. But thinking, if we want to think about tissue glide, like vibration is going to change the viscosity of that hyaluronic acid in there, which would allow our tissues to glide better. So yeah. sometimes things, when people say things are tight or painful, it truly could just be a tissue glide issue and not muscle. Like everyone's like, Oh, my back is tight. The muscle, my quads are tight. I'm like, well, I want you to start thinking maybe it's tissue glide. So prep your body first. So I'll use like, I either have like a Theragun, I, I don't have Theragun or Hypervolt or something. Um, sometimes that, the, the roller, um, use all those first as mm-hmm. tissue glide, then go through some more mobility stuff, then go through some breathing and core and activation, then go do a more like specific warm up for my workout. That is actually pretty interesting. I had this discussion myself uh, a couple days back is about movement prep. Um, mm-hmm. You described a lot of really kind of on a neurological basis, a tissue basis, preparation for movement rather than preparation with movement. How do you yeah. feel about these excessive like movement prep, prep prehab programs uh, when it comes to kind of getting someone into competition or even training? Um, for me, like order matters on Mm -hmm. stuff too. Like if we look back at the neuro side of things, like when you do any soft tissue work, if you're just going to sit there and mash away at tissue, you open up a window for the body to learn something, but then you just leave it at that. Like you just maybe took away your body's protective mechanism. So I'll never, because if you don't know the why behind it, because a lot of people don't know the why if they haven't had a good assessment. Um, So if they haven't had a good assessment, they're like, oh, this hurts. And they just mash away on it. I'm like, well, you might be taking away what your body's protecting you with. Um, so one, they'll get assessed, but two, follow it up with some dynamic movement, some core, some breathing. Like I'll crawl a little bit before every workout. Like I'll go do some tissue prep. I'll mash away on certain tissues. Like I know I need it. Like going in and just doing some pec stuff, going in and doing maybe some quad, but then right away I'll go and do some crawling, some bridges, some like banded walking, um, just all different movement prep. I like for me when I treat like mo- the order and timing matters. Okay. So, and that's actually why I left my other practice. Cause I wouldn't want one person going and doing exercise first, then manual, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be able to assess tissue, see what's happening. How are they coordinating? How are they firing stuff? Do some soft tissue work, then get them moving and then drill in those reps. How do you feel about the, the, the mashing of tissues with like weights and stuff like that? Uh, I know, I know how we talk about it, but I, I'm so curious because you're in the world, you compete, you know, I know that's a common thing in, in CrossFit and a lot of other communities, but, you know, I look at that, I have my own opinion. How do you feel about that as a, as a PT and as a athlete? It's so funny. So when I say mashing, I probably should be more clear on it because I'm doing it where I'm not in pain. 
I was, so I was just going to say, I knew exactly yeah. what you meant, but yeah. yeah. I know what I mean when I do that. Like I'll be laying on the sphere like ball and going through some different range of motion, finding areas that are a little more tender or tight um, and letting them kind of, you know, if we want to call it down, regulate or relax that tissue, then fire up some of the opposing stuff or whatever it may be compensating for. But when they're going in and like digging in and you see them just like clawing and like they're like squirming around on the floor because it hurts so bad. Like that's just a little much. Like you're, you're sending the brain mixed signals. And of course it feels better when it's over because the threat's gone. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. So like, I think it's an education thing that people just don't understand. Sometimes they think more is going to be more and it's not. If somebody is, hasn't really taken one of our courses, kind of give them an idea of how do you know when it's too much? Um, so I'm always looking for just those signs. Like if it's causing you to hold your breath, if it's causing your toes to curl, you start sweating, you're holding onto the table. Like you can't even like eyes are bulging out of your head because you hit a spot that hurts too much. Like that's sending a different signal to the brain. Like that's like, we're trying to relax the tissue, not throw you into like fight or flight mode. And like every protective mechanism comes out of the, like comes flying at you because it hurts so much. Yeah, put you on threat and just cussing and cringing constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really good point. You know, that's something that we emphasize so much in our courses. It's just it, it has to be non-threatening um, for the stimulus that that we're providing in there. And athletes are no different. You know, do you find yeah. it in the athletic populations that you see? Is they're they're the kind of people who are like, oh, you can go harder, you can go harder, like really push into me. You know, I get both actually. Like, yes, I get the guys that like if it doesn't hurt, it's not doing anything. And that's when I have to educate them. Be like, listen, dude, like, no, like your, your brain is what dictates everything. Like if your brain feels safe, you're going to move better. And when I'm doing this, this is sending threat to the brain. Your brain does not think this is comfortable. Like, yes, it feels better afterwards because the threat's gone. But then sometimes I get other clients where they look like the biggest tough guy. Like it might be like a six foot seven lineman and they're the biggest baby sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and they want me to do everything. They don't want to get off the table. They just want all passive modalities that little feel good. I'm like, no, we have to do a little bit of both. Come on. Like you're Sorry, getting so- off the table and you're going to move. You have to do a little work. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you got to work. Yeah. So when uh, you said you're going to be competing this year in, in the open, right? Mm-hmm. When is that? So we're on week three now. So my goal was, or it still is, because I'm going to get strict handstand pushups today. I have to stay positive. Um, I'm in, we're in week three, and I think um, we have from Thursday to Monday to do the workout. Um, okay. So they release the workout on Thursday night, and you have until Monday at like five on the West Coast to submit it. So my goal was just to get top 200 um, in the world for my age group. Yeah. Um, give, give everybody an idea of how that works. Cause I, I know I'm, I'm not very familiar with it. I, you know, I've, I've, I've treated a lot of CrossFit athletes, but I, I, I'm not in the world. So I don't um, necessarily know how that works. So give everybody an idea, just kind of how this works. You're doing the extra, the, uh, the workout on your own and then like submission process and all that stuff. Well, it's, it's kind of weird this year. Everything's changing. The rules are changing new, whatever. Like they're only accepting so many people, but in general, like if we talk about masters, because masters mm-hmm. starts 35, 39, 40, 44, you compete in your age group for the open. Um, and then I think there's 27,000 in my age group this year mm-hmm. and you do the workout, you have a judge judge you, um, you submit your score and then they validate it. You can also video it and submit the video. Um, and then after those five weeks, the top 200 from each age group move on to an online qualifier. 
Uh, okay. Your score this year actually resets to zero. And then they give you like four workouts, four or five workouts to do over like a week or half a week time. And then from there, the top 10 make it to the CrossFit Games. That's pretty efficient when you have submissions, kind of people sending in videos and stuff like that. So are they evaluating, judging your, your form, make sure it's an actual rep? Basically? The judge should. So your judge at your gym is supposed to, but that's the big debate and all the problem where so many people submit scores that, you know, half of them would have been no reps if they actually had a strict judge. Or you look at the video and you're like, how did you even submit that score? That's not even what you did. Um, so. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of cheating and that's a lot of big debate and a lot of people are turned off by it. Um, but if they cheat that bad and they actually get to the games, when they have to compete, it's going to show because they're not going to be able to keep up with the rest of people. So they're going to look like an idiot. Um, but unfortunately, you deal with that um, probably in any, every sport. But You really are. I mean, I can speak to uh, kettlebell sport I, i've competed uh in the past and there was always a huge debate about what's a rep what's a no rep and mm -hmm. should we use the judge's eye there's been technology introduced and that's the big debate is like you're not doing full reps so you didn't actually get the number that you want to get yeah. your your master of sports certification or anything like that so yeah i think you're right i think it's just about everywhere um where you have some sort of judgment being made with uh especially with repetitions i think too oh so. yeah Tell us a little bit about uh, more about Primal Strength PT. You're in Carlsbad, California. Um, yeah. tell us, give us a little bit of idea about your clinic. So I just have, we moved locations about a little over a year ago. And I just have a nice room built out in the corner of the CrossFit gym. So nice. I have my space there. I have use of the gym, which has been awesome. And then I kind of have a network of a bunch of the different golfers, trainers, pros in the area. Um, also a bunch of the different tri-teams. Um, so I kind of, that's kind of my niche, more triathletes, golfers, and CrossFit. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's been nice. <laughs> um, now winter, I'm not on the East Coast and freezing my butt off. Um, yeah. But I have a nice little happy balance between getting to travel and teach and then also having my office here. So when I'm home, I'm, I'm treating here. And then when I'm on the road, I still get to do what I love. So it's uh, Primal Strength PT uh, at the dot com, right? Right. Yes, primalstrengthpt.com or just primalstrengthdoc on Instagram. On Instagram. So where are you going to be teaching uh, coming up soon in the next uh, couple months? I think I'm up east of L.A. End of the month, I'm up in Pomona um, teaching, I think, is it Western University for the sciences? I'm teaching pods and floss. And then I was supposed to, we have the new movement course coming out. So yeah. I I was going to be teaching that in June, but I think it might be getting pushed back a little bit um, okay. and probably start teaching that in July. Excellent. That's, that's very exciting. I am excited to see kind of how that all comes into play. I've contributed a little bit. So if you hate oh. teaching it, don't blame me for any of that. <laughs> I know <laughs> Capo, Capo and Ethan are teaching out here in Carlsbad, right down the road from me. Cause M plus oh, really? is actually M plus is like a mile away from my office. Um, oh, really? So, yeah. So they're right down the road. In California. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they can uh, always I'll check go it see out. them when they teach that for the first time in April. Nice. Excellent. That is very exciting. So many new things to come. Um, do you have a favorite class? Is there a, a, one particular class that you really love to teach? Um, it might be a combo of Blades Advanced and tapping oh, yeah. into other stuff there, just the tissue bags. I think that's a missing link that some people don't ever look at. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the tweak stuff. Um, and I still enjoy taping because it's like you're opening eyes to people that like you're opening the eyes to look at things in a different way. 
Yeah. And same thing with blades. Like yeah. when you see the attendees are like, wow, I haven't thought of it this way. Like, I know I did my job. Then now you <laughs> change their, their perspective. I, I love that. That's how I think about it too, is just changing someone's perspective because they probably have been introduced to it, right? So, you know, just yeah. going and saying, hey, this is another way to kind of really approach it. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. So one more time, <clears throat> excuse me, one more time, Meg, where can we reach you on social media? So social media is going to be Primal Strength Doc or on Facebook under Primal Strength Physical Therapy um, or the link to my website is on both of those. So primalstrengthpt.com. Excellent. And if you're out on the West Coast, make sure you check out Dr. Megan and get all this amazing, wonderful knowledge from her about tape, pods, floss, or even your blades courses. Meg, thank you so much for uh, spending so much. the time with me and chatting. I had a great time and learned a ton from you as well, too. So thank you so much. Always. Thank you. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.